0: Welcome to The Horus Heretics, I'm William. I'm Neil. And this is episode number 31, where we are uh, discussing Prospero Burns uh, to the end of the book, Um, even though we only really did a very small part of it in the last episode, but we've, uh, it's not our fault, it's the Black
1: Library's fault for having weird (laughs) three-part books. Um, It is, everything's their fault, (laughs) that's crazy. This entire fucking podcast is their fault. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know one day
0: all the things that we didn't do in our lives because of this will be there <laughs> <laughs> That promotion I didn't get granddad why, do, you, granddad, why do you only know one language?
1: Well uh, <laughs> Um, Why are you such a sort of unskilled person? <laughs> well, let me tell you about the space wolves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Why is your like
0: knowledge of like proper books really poor? Um, <laughs> 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 okay, right. Uh, but yes, okay. So, part. This is part two of the book uh, of three parts, and this is a. Where our main character Casper Hauser uh, has now become ensconced within the space wolves, particularly within a what are like the thing called Tra? I don't know what if that's like a what they call that's,
1: that. Yeah, I, th- I think there are. Oh god, I can't remember. There are at least ten uh, subdivisions within the space wolves. Right. Uh, tra is three. You know, they they're just numbered. And, right. uh Yeah. So it's just a chap, uh, not a chapter. Yeah, a chapter, let's say, within the Legion.
0: Yeah, so he that's who he's in. Um, and he is their Scald, or Scald, I don't know how, how it would be pronounced. It's got a J in it, but it's a Scandinavian-looking word that uh, basically means he is their, like, storyteller, um, their observer of things, and turning them into good tales to tell around the fireside sort of thing. Basically, they're kind of version of a remembrancer um yeah and uh, so this is kind of this section of the book is kind of but him going with them on their their uh you know crusading as all the um space marine chapters are doing at this point in the in the overarching narrative or not maybe not all of them but most of them um and they are on a planet uh that I forget the name of fighting a civilization called the Quietude, um, who have some uh, elite uh, troops called Robusts.
1: Um, <laughs> which... I, I I love that name uh, because they had like the Robusts were uh, the sort of meat shields, but they were good. And then they had Super Robusts. Yeah, the fighting is Robusts. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like an interesting part of the book because, as you say. Um, It's not really about the battle that they have here, though the battle is good. It is about Casper sort of learning about the Space Wolves so that he can tell stories better and in a way that they find appealing. Um, And the the, the first part of of this battle is they sort of take out a moon-like construction, yeah, and it's just about how they take it down, and there's this really <laughs> awesome bit about them dropping down and snack snapping their neck necks in unison, and stuff like that. And um, it's a it's a great old uh, sort of worthy tale of of uh, rip snorting death. And uh, sorry, yeah, no, that thing
0: you just said about how they did it, right? Uh, they so they basically crashed this like sort of massive satellite slash moon, whatever it was, into the planet, and like. At that point, I kind of think the job's done, you know? Like, if, <laughs> yeah. if you're just looking to destroy them. And, and it actually, it comes to the scene that we'll get to later, where like, <laughs> it's just a completely apocalyptic scene of this. I and mean, it's quite a cool city that they are they end up uh, describing that the Quietude, or not city, but, well, I guess this is a city, one city it's set in, but I think this is their whole planet is covered. Mm. They have these cities under, like, um, sort of protective layers of um ice, basically. And they the city sort of go into the ground. Um so it's kind of like it is very much reminiscent of the classic um spired city in these books with walkways in between them, usually constructed of glass or a similar <laughs> um
1: material. But this is kind of an inverted one, which I thought was quite mm-hmm. cool. Um and it was it was uh, is quite smart that the like the ice caps they had Physically extended them through technological means over the tops of their cities as a means of defence, and space will see this and just think, right? We better crash that moon into the surface. <laughs>
0: Anything round about here, we can just crash into this planet. Oh, cool! We'll use that. Um, yeah, and like they, <laughs> But anyway, so they do that, and it's like, so the the bit that I think ends up being the most important to the narrative here, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, takes place in this totally apocalyptic scene. Of this mm. kind of under the under the ice cap sort of city that's in
1: flames, it's falling apart. Um, it's like the, the the sense of scale that this had was better than anything that we've read before, because it, they they were talking about like the size of this hole being like continent sized, and they the space marines and the imperial troops dropped down in their war uh, war hawks or whatever you call those ships thunderhawks, and um they're like just descending into hell basically because there's just like water from the ice caps there's glowing uh bits of metal from the the heat of the this orbital satellite thing crashing down into it and as they descend it's just like everything is ruins and there's just like cross-sectional diagram almost of of the society as they descend further and further down into um the sense of destruction and the sense of of massive scale was incredible here i thought this this description was amazing it was good it was cool right but it didn't make me (laughs) question. i mean it made it um
0: it was reminiscent of like the end of an Uncharted game, right? Where, like, the ancient city you've found is completely fallen to pieces, and you're having to, like, you know, jump from falling bit of rock to other falling bit of rock, right? It was that yeah. kind of scenario. And I was like, why the fuck are the Space Marines going into this to do some fighting? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I think it's
1: falling apart all on its own here, you
0: know? Yeah. Um,
1: and the uh, Space Marines had been, like, keeping themselves in reserves. They'd, like, literally done nothing. And then they were like, yes, now is our time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've completely fucked up the planet. It's in the middle of disintegrating, and yeah. let's go in. Um, and so that's kind of where a lot of the same takes place. But I think before, like on the battle, there's a sort of a battle on the the satellite thing. Under some, I have some pretty um, vivid accounts of violence from this, um, such as. Uh, the heat beams which split robust armour open in messy eruptions of cooking innards and super hot white fragments. That's the kind of thing that went on. But then there was a particular moment, I think, where you talked about a snapping of necks, where um, it said this space wolf called Hyad had punched his right fist through its torso and pulled out its spine. Um, that was
1: that, that was
0: Hyad. The men of Cry agreed. Unflagging unsentimental. Not the word I'd use, Unsentimental. unsentimental <coughs> for that. Then there's this other bit where it talks about <laughs> this is really something. Um so he tore this he tore the super robust's left head, left head, note that the super robusts have two heads, implant out instead. He ripped it clean out of its shoulder socket scu- socket skull, neck mount and spinal cord. It came out in a spray like afterbirth. Full tug spat he gripped the wrenched out piece of anatomy in his right fist by the base of the spine and began to spin it like a slingshot. Then he swung it repeatedly. <laughs> it was super, super robust in the manner of a bow and chain and didn't stop until its other head was caved in.
1: <laughs> God. Beating beating somebody's head off with his other head. <laughs> That's that is like a wonderfully strange description with, that you said that after he'd ripped, he punched through somebody's stomach and ripped their spine out through the hole, and somebody went, ha, "There's old had unsentimental as always." <laughs> no, no, such a weird word. I actually think those are two separate incidents
0: of violence because, according to my notes, they occur five pages apart. But they're you know quite similar, and um, uh, yeah, unsentimental unsen- is one <laughs> one word for it, uh, w- a wrong
1: word for it, probably. But yeah, a fu- absolutely a, lot, wrong. But a funny one, nonetheless. Um, no, I think we sort of f- fell on this last time, and I would say that I, it, I follow up on this, and, and, and it's sort of, it, it, it has developed in me that I have sort of liked the Space Wolves an awful lot more than any other Legion. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but I think we need to um, say that they are also, to say that they're mad and, and genocidal is. They're all mad and genocidal, but they are also sort of uh, selfish and separate. Um, as they were flying down this hole that I was just describing, um, they look back and see like thousands of imperial troops die, um, and their their ships crash. And there's this scene, awful scene about like it raining men. Oh yeah, and uh, they just <sighs> fall and. Disintegrate and it's (laughs) really, yeah, exactly. I didn't quite know. (laughs) Oh, god, god bless, mother. (laughs) She just somebody somebody needs, we need to get some fan art and we need, we need to we need to play (laughs) the weather girl at the top. (laughs) <laughs> of this scene of destruction that's not what i meant that's not what i did mean was not any better than that that's the thing anyway uh, they were they were cruel and insensitive and nasty that's what i meant to say um but i completely undercut myself by, i mean the, by like, that unknowing
0: i'll just have to point out the weather girls reading men is a lot better than that what you just said you like <laughs> If we're talking about that would be a bad thing if the weather girls <laughs> featured in some sort of Warhammer 40K crossover.
1: <laughs> That's I mean well that um did you see yesterday the um the follow-up to Vermin Tide 2 um is a Warhammer 40K. Oh yeah. yeah. That would be that would um, be cool. So, so we can we could like create our own version of it. We could like capture some footage of it and <laughs> and, and, and play that song over the top. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um we got to set up a YouTube channel. That, that, sometimes that's,
0: that's oh, has to wait. Has, that has to be part of our long-awaited pivot to video, Neil. Exactly. That... <laughs> exactly. People have been waiting for it. Um, where the hell are we? Uh, right. So we're in this scene, and then I think we we flash back to a bit of archival discussion. Um, yes. So, master. I feel that this is yeah this is your wheelhouse Neil so um there's some technical discussion of archival practices.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um I won't bother anybody but uh, you know there's uh, I could bore you for a long time about different archival formats and stuff <laughs> but I'm not going to. Um but yeah the, as we know that the the book is sort of interspersed with a lot of sort of flashbacks to Casper's old life and how it has positioned him and taught him so that he can be where he is now but Uh, We know that he was the head of the uh, conservatory and um, that he feared that it was being rolled up into the wider administratum and he was very much against it. And there was a scene here uh, about just how that power is being consolidated. And his problem is that not only that the administratum agrees that all knowledge should in some way be sort of systematized and kept, but they don't know what they're getting. They're getting too much for anybody to look at it. So what they're in fact doing is hoarding it and um, they just don't have the resources like all archives to actually know what they're getting in and to process it and to sort of incorporate it into their corpus of knowledge. and there's a very interesting bit about open access and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the, what they could do would be to almost like let people with knowledge just see it because they don't have all the knowledge. Let uh, keep it open for anybody to get at, but they can't do that um, or they won't do that. And he sort of sees his whole mission being bastardized and changed and so decides that he is going to take a sabbatical. Just for a few years um, and do some just proper learning you know some proper cultural research um, and sort of leaves his number two in charge of the conservatory and takes off. There's a, a roundabout
0: about this um, point in the book but earlier in the timeline that um, there's a story about um, Oh, no, in fact, we had the bomb. The bomb was in the last... Um,
1: oh, yeah, the uh, improvised explosive piano. Yes, yes.
0: So this is a, this is a, some story of another um, like mugging that they had encountered in, in trying to procure artifacts or whatever. And mm. um, I only really mention this because, like... Um, so they sort of made some arrangement to pick some stuff up. And this guy, Mirza, who's... Uh, Like his friend and sort of colleague, Casper Hauser's friend and colleague, is um, he sort of set this up um, and they're like, turns out it's, you know, they're they're getting mugged essentially. And then Mirza shouts, uh, This is no time to feel choleric! Um, (laughs) Which I thought was a belter when you're about to be mugged, uh, telling them that it's no time to feel choleric. But um, I think this is also when he reveals. Some magic powers. Uh, yeah, he makes he makes a guy's head explode or something. Yeah, he says a word and
1: a, a dude dude's head explodes.
0: Um, like Neil says, we'll, we'll,
1: and and we'll revisit that in um, in a future flashback as the sort yeah. of uh, as they discover more about it and stuff. Back on the uh, you know the moon ship has been used to crash into the planet. Um, Hauser meets this important character called Longfang. He's a a rune priest and uh, they sort of talk about the nature of what a a Skald is and why Hauser came to Fenris. Um, And they learn, here is where they learn of the Battle of Ullinor, which is, um, I think we've spoken about a number of times, is when the Emperor and a number of legions in a conjoined attack destroy this enormous orc uh, horde and at the same time, the emperor leaves the crusade and goes back to, to Earth. Um, and Hauser asks them, like, why are they, why are they annoyed by this? Why has this angered them? Is it that they're not at Ullinor, or is it that um, their Primarch was never considered as War Master when Horus was named War Master? And they respond that it's neither of those things. Um, they wanted to be with their mm-hmm. brother legions. And to gather and to celebrate. Um, and this was a, like a sort of interesting piece of color, I think, for their legion. Uh, that they, they missed being part of, you know, the overhaul brotherhood of legions. But they couldn't be that way because they were always considered barbarous. They were the, um, uh, the legion that was, that they really took pride in never ever turning down any order you know whatever the emperor asked them to do they would do without any hassle without any bother um that is their sort of special role um we talked about it last time that um all the primarchs had roles everybody had a role in you know that in their weird and the role of the space wolves was to be the executioner uh, the unthinking executioner had to do whatever the emperor told them to do yeah and and it's um
0: it's kind of talked about a few times how they are, like they're seen as sort of rabid, you know, uh, you know warriors essentially. But actually, they're sort of saying we're actually more trained than than any other, you know, legion yeah. in their opinion, because to, to carry out this kind of thing. And there's a bit where I thought it was a funny use of a word as well, where it's saying right, yeah. So there's some acts, some acts are ruthless, some deeds so are unpal- unpalatable that only they can do them. It says without qualm or sentiment, without hesitation or whimsy. Um, I mean are
1: the whimsy. other legions doing it with whimsy? I'm not really. <laughs> we haven't met all of them. That's true. <laughs> maybe maybe some of those legions that were exterminated were doing like were doing genocide in too much of a tongue-in-cheek way. <laughs> Maybe they were they were doing it and making everybody look stupid at the same time, you know. Like they were just like doing slap slapstick pratfalls and stuff. <laughs> um, that's is. an idea for that's an idea for a a special episode where we <laughs> we we modelled that Legion in a sort of whimsical way. And another thing I liked a feature that they talked about with
0: spaceships, I thought it was pretty cool. It was that like, um, so it's saying like. Where do they find release from like the unstinting combat against mankind's foes? Yes, says. and the thing that they get a buzz out of is is um, that as it says the one thing denied to us fear because so they try to look for something that can sort of it's like that, isn't it? It's like a rush mm-hmm. or a thrill of something, and that's like Maleficarum as they call it, like you know, magic is 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 sort of the
1: main thing highlighting this book that gives them that. that yeah, you know, so uh, the, the- Scald was like, what, what accounts do, do the soldiers like most? And Longfans, like, well, the best stories are scary stories. You know, they're horror stories because we are the best soldiers. And yet, like magic, Maleficarum, we can't do anything against that. And we're sort of bred to not feel fear, theoretically. But the stories are where they allow that outlet, you know, free rein. And that is just so much more of a complicated theme than we've heard before, which is the soldiers don't feel fear. Yeah, yeah well, uh, yeah, OK. And then Don Abnett here is like, yeah, they, they in battle, they don't feel fear, but they need an outlet for that somewhere. And the um, Space Wolves have chosen their stories as that outlet. It's just so much more of a believable yeah, understandable thing.
0: It was good. It was good. Yeah, it really nuanced. Like this overall storyline. Um, so it, and he's talking to like I think Longfang, who's basically dying at this point and from his wounds, um, and Casper is the only person with him. And he's like, um, he says like, oh, "Tell me your like your most scary story." Essentially, doesn't he? Or like, yeah. Um, and he starts telling him this story about uh, his friend, Mirza, wants to take him to meet some... This is after he's sort of revealed that he can do magic things. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, basically, I'm in this secret society, but you should join too. Come come to this library
1: and we'll meet them. And mm-hmm. he goes to this place where there's... the bibliote- All the cool libraries, all the cool... Uh, secret societies meet in in libraries, <laughs> yeah. and this library in, in, in beige bodysuits. <laughs> so this library has book priests, which,
0: um, <laughs> which was cool. yeah, it's a good name. Um, and, and the book priests were very much like like your standard Shushing archetype librarians. of a librarian. He <laughs> <laughs> said, "How's their and saw the disapproving faces of the priest officers
1: peering in through decorative holes in the screen door. He lowered his voice." <laughs> <laughs> um, and, so yeah like um, Mirza takes him and um, uh, sort of introduces him or no they, they introduce themselves don't they and take him on a bit of a walk to this crossroads in the in the stacks um, where Mirza is being like uh, held and uh, um, what's his name uh, Casper is like you know given the option you should join us uh, come and learn our secret magics but you know we are a stupid silly secret society so numbers are important to us so if you're going to take your place you're going to have to kill your friend Mirza in order to take his place and what's really good about this bit is Kaspar Hauser it, like there's no temptation here for him at all he's like y'all are lame y'all want me to join your silly little group I, I would never join this group, even if you invited me and I didn't have to kill my friend. But you're asking me to kill my friend? To join your shitty-ass shitty, shitty ass group? Nah. And he just, he just, like, says, come on, Mirza, we're leaving. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Um,
0: yeah, and also, like, a detail about this library is, like, it had a kind of, like, voice-controlled sort of computer system. And I was thinking... I'm I'm not totally sure when this book was written, but it was probably at a point when things like Siri were still futuristic, um, yeah. and uh, you know that's changed a lot in the <laughs> ten years. Yeah, um, the, or so people don't said. use those voice assistants, do they? I started like, using the one on my phone. I must say, um, really, yeah, not not could, loads but like in the morning to be like Siri, turn off alarm
1: is my most common usage. Um, oh wow, Siri must be better than the Android one because. It it does not like my accent at all. I have to kind the, of shout at
0: it, but it does sort of work. I was, I mean, I'm totally against like the idea of buying an Alexa and stuff like that. I was like, no fucking way would I buy one of them. But I have sort of gradually started using Siri um, on my phone. Um, but there you go. Uh, good content.
1: <laughs> Absolute quality content. <laughs> um, uh, what what happens here? So uh, longfang is sort of dying at this point. As he's hearing this story. And he says. Uh, this is a good tale, But uh, that's actually not your best story. Of Maleficarum. And uh, <laughs> and Casper goes. No it is. It really is. And Longfang can somehow see. His, uh, his past and future. Like his death. Uh, is affecting his view of time. And can, he can sort of look up and down. Casper's uh, thread. As he calls it. And says no you will. You'll know you'll know better ones in the future, but you already know a better one now. You just don't know it yet.
0: Yeah, and it turns out so, like, he dies, but it turns out uh, Casper has been talking to him for like twelve minutes after he dies, um, which kind of he's sort of like keeps thinking about that. And it like this scene was a little bit when I when I first read it, I was a little bit like, well, this kind of this guy Longfang's just sort of introduced and then has this big death scene. I thought it was a bit weird, but. It, it, it's actually like this is sort of the start of his significance rather than, you know, the yeah,
1: end he, of it. He, yeah, he, he sort of, the questions that he asks and the, the visions that he grants Casper are extremely important to the, the sort of unfurling of of a kind of whodunit story towards the end. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's very good. Um, and his, his death. Sort of hits Casper very hard, and the the rest of Tra as well, and so they go back up to their ship, and they're traveling to their next uh, battle expedition, and they have a their sort of re- ceremony of remembrance, where uh, Casper as scald will tell the stories of all the men who knew uh, Longfang, and they they had given them his their accounts, and he was like told, you know, this can take. Hours, weeks—you know—you have to build in breaks so that people can eat, sleep, and party yeah. and stuff. And it's—it's it's, again, it's really, it's really good. It's a really excellent description of um, a sort of intra-group ceremony that is believable within their culture and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, were they doing that on the ship? Because it's certainly in my head that was like back on Fenris, but. Um, uh, could easily be on the ship. I just sort of imagined it there, but it doesn't really matter anyway. That's yeah, that's um, what they were doing. Uh, and sorry,
1: yeah, and and so the um, the uh, the sort of ceremony is going on and on, and and Casper um, sort of building to his own sort of crescendo. Uh, it's but it's at that point that um, this guy called Aln Hellwinter is sort of made the replacement room priest. And uh, at, at his crowning or whatever it would be called, it's done with uh, a knife, uh, an athium. Um And Casper sees it and he sees that it's the same knife that he was handed in his past, in that, in that library where the magical coven uh, asked him to kill uh, his friend Mirza. Um, it's the same knife that they handed him. And he's obviously, he is sort of what's going on here. This is some, you know, this is some presaging bullshit going on. And um, Ogvai, who's uh, the leader of Trans sort or of sitting above all of this, um, gets news from the bridge crew. Um, and they're all called away from the ceremony and start arming themselves. And so the ceremony kind of. Um, uh, is sort of pushed to the side in favour of this arming. And Casper goes to Ogwai's, was it called the Weaponarium? I think so, yeah, there there was a Weaponarium. Yeah. Mm, That's the one, that's the first piece of real shocking shittery that I'm not (laughs) a fan of. Um, But yeah, so he's looking through all of these weapons and sees the knife. Um, And yeah, uh, Hellwinter sort of steps out of the darkness and confronts him and says that the knife was was actually different it couldn't possibly have been the same but something has been done to to casper to mess with him to make him uh met, like doubt his loyalties uh something psychic has been done with him so that he sees the knife as the same knife and uh so so basically like the word
0: of they've sort of been interrupted and called away to and had to um I think, and had to sort of abandon the, the eulogy to, you know, all the stories for Longfang is that they've been called to the Council of Nikea, uh which is kind of well, we've already had mention of Ulanor, where you know the Emperor flattened a continent for a victory party, and this is where he carved out a volcano planet for a one-off meeting. Um,
1: yeah, for for a. Uh for a friendly trial. <laughs> yes, a fair trial. <laughs> um and this is also a great scene. I'm just like as we we return to these things that we read. I remember thinking at the time this is a great scene. Um, yeah. I, I didn't like the previous trip that we had to Nikea. This is much better.
0: <laughs> Sorry there's yeah so in the, so there's, like they get um, they come to Nikea an and the space wolves are kind of in hiding, essentially behind the scenes because they don't want to like freak out Magnus, but they they want them to be there in case shit goes wrong and they yeah um they can step in. Um, but I just thought like this was the action. This there was one guy they meet who's like he's like the Boaty McBoatface face of space marine names. <laughs> His name is Gunnar Gunhilt Cold War Gun <laughs>
1: <laughs> Oh god that completely passed me by Gunnar <laughs> Gunhilt Lord Gun <laughs> uh, Superb I think you maybe used a name generator for that Or like uh, Auctioned that off as like a, a, a Twitter award to some yeah some patron or something that's bad um so
0: and then uh they all kind of jokingly say to like casper haha you're gonna have to go into the quiet room or something right um and then i can't remember what they call it but something like that and then they he has to go down this tunnel and he comes into a room where he walks past a whole bunch of silent sisters right who give him this um you Know he they've obviously got their energy to sort of cancel out magic, and this really causes him considerable distress. And what caused me considerable distress as I read this <laughs> was that so many times they were referred to as the females, uh, yes, the females oh my God. standing there, the females. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, uh, Dan Abner is an alien, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they did like woman is used like twice. I've actually I, I noted it was highlighting all the uses of female and it's like I can see women used once female used like about 10 times oh. or women's maybe used once or twice females use about 10 times and um it's, it's so weird that isn't it like and it is a thing you notice and, and obviously understandably women don't like it um <laughs> being referred to as females um yeah and like just is there any chance that uh you know, just hypothetically, uh, one of the many sort of male forces within this universe would have been countered in that room, and he would have used the term "males" ten times to describe <laughs> them as a group. It seems yeah. to me there is no chance whatsoever of that. And why is it that
1: people do that? None uh, at all. It, it's the it's like a a weird sort of hyper scientific <laughs> like use of language that that sort of is a reduction of the person down to. like scientific marker or something it's so unusual i also think it's sickening also as well because it's it's all bound up with that kind of meal internet annoyance isn't it you know that that kind of um uh, internet commenter let's say
0: but i mean yeah it's sort of you know certainly like um there's an overlap of those worlds but like i like here here i just sort of think I think Dan Abbott's kind of using it unconsciously really It's just like a, a neutral term for them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't think and I think there's something about the the way that um the term the terms girl and women are used. Um, you know, people use the term girl I think generally for um much older uh women than they will for men use the term boys if you see what i mean like for sure and i think some people would get this weird discomfort about like um oh no i i think of them as a girl but i shouldn't say that but i don't think of them as a woman no you know like i'll just use mm. female that's kind of safe you know because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's actually really shite um anyway that was but then he, so he. Uh, it's, he
1: it, it's definitely something i i picked up on as well
0: yeah um, it's just repeatedly used and then so he so that really disturbs him and then he comes through to a room where he sees uh, women woman rush the, prim- the Primarch of the mm. space marines uh, space wolves
1: and he uh, he sort of talks to him but um he says like i thought i thought you could speak the languages of fenris and Casper is saying yeah i'm speaking them right now idiot <laughs> and and he's gone no you're not dickhead <laughs> and, and so um it, it, he sort of remembers back and he's thinking like, okay, so when I was kind of rebuilt from my sleep, they sort of made me a super young man again. And I'm stronger and faster than I was, but they said they they didn't touch my mental acuity. They didn't, I, I didn't know these languages. And so I <clears> think <throat> he sort of equates it then at the minute that that is another source of magic, you know, the, that came from magic, I should say, and is likely another sort of gift from the magical implanter that um, uh, Hellwinter sort of mentioned uh, to him about the, that he'd been messed with. But now there's sort of the
0: like, uh, Lehman Russ takes him out to chat to some other space marines and stuff, and there's this really quite weird uh, reveal and conversation where it's revealed that he is basically. Was set up like over decades to be a spy uh, yeah. on the space wolves, but they knew that
1: all along and kind of. So, what does anybody do when they know there's a spy in their midst? Take them even deeper into their midst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: because like he basically like yeah, there's you know there's some sort of logic to it, but this this scene was just really like
1: I don't know, strange. It was so like it felt it felt weird to me because there's like. There's Valdor of the Custodians. There's Raldoran of the Blood Angels. Uh, Fulgrim turns up for a bit. Uh, Typhon, the uh, Death Guard with a big horn, Yeah, he's there as well. I, it felt like one of those episodes where the Autobots uh, w- have to work with the Decepticons in the Transformers <laughs> cartoon. But what was, what was really weird about it, it was like, in terms of this storyline,
0: like that was just a fairly random assortment, as far as I could tell, of the many people that were at this meeting right um and yet (laughs) they all knew everything about casper (laughs) hauser but they knew every single detail about it they're like yep that's right and they all were just like poking about over him and holding like data pads and stuff
1: (laughs) yeah and and like they um they all sort of overlook him at the start and he goes my name's casper hauser and everybody knows the name yeah and they're like you're not Casper Hauser. Not Casper Hauser. He's like, Yeah, I'm Casper Hauser. Then the next person sort of tells him his entire story. And then he goes, No, but what about the, this thing that you haven't thought about? Then Fulgrim takes over. They all have perfect knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And they all just like, each of them has their own sort of soliloquy to progress the story a little bit. And you're never quite sure how on earth they know that, but they all do. And um, it was just very strange. And um in, in this uh, around about
0: this point there's a discussion of like the idea that um when someone knows
1: your name they have like power over you and that's talked well, that, about that's when the um one of the custodes, Amon, uh, takes him to the gallery where he can oversee the council in action. Um, and he sees the emperor there and stuff. And that's when the custodes uh, Amon tells him of the importance of names, um, and the importance of the custodes' names. We know as well because they have them written on their uh, armor and stuff. But uh, through magic, it can be used to control people. And it, and it says that Constantine Valder's
0: name is nineteen hundred and thirty-two elements long. Yeah, that's good. And uh, it also says like that that's the reason why the emperor is only known by like his title, because um, he doesn't. You know, doesn't let his, no one knows what his name is, which makes you think, what is the emperor called? You know, is it like Barry? I think I'm. <laughs> Clive.
1: <laughs> the emperor's not Clive. No, no, no. Richard. <laughs> Nigel. Um, but um, Ammon uh, is shown to be actually not himself, but he's being controlled by another Ammon. The Aquari of the Thousand Suns Primarch, uh, who sort of explain uh, reveals himself in that uh, in that gallery area that they're in, and basically starts telling him a lot about what has been going on. Um, and it says that uh, they know that Nikea where the decision of Nikea will go, that they will be banned from um, doing magic yet they will continue to do magic and then the logical result of that will be that the Space Wolves will be ordered by the Emperor uh, because they are the ultimate sanction of the Emperor um, to in some way slap down the uh, Thousand Suns and so he is there to sort of oversee that and they have used Casper and embedded them embedded him with the Space Wolves as a means to give them uh forewarning of this event so that they can plan for it.
0: Yeah, and and that and there's like a, a fight in this kind of gallery between uh this Thousand Sun and uh, Bear shows up, doesn't it? Um
1: Yeah, Hellwinter's there as well, and then Bear and it's a really good fight. Like, um it's really sort of Kind of brutal, visceral, one-on-one. Well, not one-on-one, but like a kind of small-scale fight. But all, all the better for it. And um, Amon sort of rips from Casper's mind the names of these um, of Hellwinter and of Bear. And Hellwinter, uh, he sort of takes control over him. He tries to do it with Bear, but for some reason can't, and Bear just. Fucking pounds him in the face, um, and yeah, like uh, Bear is like stabbed, but um, just com- <laughs> just continues to, to smash up this Amon's face, um, and then that sort of weakens his control over the uh, the rest of them, and they shoot him a bit, and um, he, he sort of uh, what he runs away and. Is sort of holding his sides and you think oh this sounds to me to be the initial symptoms of flesh change <laughs> at least to me that sounded that way <laughs> um and they don't run after him because they think he can't go anywhere we'll you know we'll sort of fight him into a corner and we'll take him that way but unfortunately that doesn't work and he gets away
0: so so yeah, Nikea. It doesn't really focus much on the. You know, we sort of see in the distance like Magnus going before the Emperor
1: and getting told off, but it's not. The story doesn't really focus on it. And. Um, but also, what 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 was an interesting sort of, um, slight wrinkle in the story that we've known so far, is that the uh, Hellwinter says that the Emperor must know about this, uh, because this should be this should factor into. Um, any decision that he makes, so that that may have been something that uh, swung the emperor. Because if we remember the last time um, Magnus made this sort of amazing oratorical uh, highlight, and everyone thinks, "Oh, he might have um, he might have done something good here. He might have argued the emperor around," but we find out that somehow the emperor still uh, outlaws magic, and this action may have been an integral part of that. We don't know, but it's possible.
0: Yeah, so this is where I thought there was a bit of a kind of blunt sort of cut to this planet called Thardia.
1: Um, uh, yeah, I thought this bit, I didn't like it at all. Um, this is the only bit that I think didn't tie very well into the story. It it seemed to sort of stick out a little bit.
0: Yeah, it was strange. Um. It didn't... Um. And But basically what's going on is that I don't actually know, like, if the the whole if if all, if the space marines on ma- space wolves on mass or on this planet, or if it's just um, if it's just uh, Kowser and a couple of the um, yeah. you know a few of the the sort of uh, magic ones that are there with them, <laughs> um, whatever they call them, I can't remember. But like uh, the guy. Um, author wordmake who is a big part of the the thousand Suns book is there yeah uh, there's
1: uh, Ada Halfwolf yeah Ada Halfwolf he later on becomes heelwolf <laughs> heelwolf becomes <laughs> <Full Wolf. laughs> yeah um and there's and what's his name Hellwinter uh, Hellwinter Hellwinter own Hellwinter is a good name I, mean, and he, I just wanted to say that
0: yeah and he's been kind of he's been sort of taken um uh, Hauser through this kind of process of almost kind of like um, med not really meditation but sort of trying to dig into this particular memory um, It's, it's like a
1: directed dream, he's been having this sort of recurring dream of life uh, well, of the, the part of his life just before he left uh, for um, Fenris where he's in this um, bed chamber and he's woken up got this weird feeling he goes and looks out but in the reflection in the window he sees this person and he says but you can't be here and he's sort of being helped and being directed by hellwinter to kind of direct his dream a bit more to make it more lucid and to see who that person is because they think this is key to finding out who planted him as a spy and exactly in what way they fucked with him. Yeah. And um they've been doing that and somehow um Ada Half Wolf is um involved and he is he has like too close a contact with the magical being and the magical being fucks with him a bit and turns him into a shadow wolf which is nice. And there's a bit of a boring fight. I don't know if you want to go into more detail th- no, no. than this than me, but I just... I I, I won't because I just didn't think there was any point to it, really. No, it was, um, a, it was a strange little bit. And, and yeah, so they, they kind of overpower
0: this wolf, or or this like their their colleague, friend who has been possessed by this wolf and um, then they sort of take him back to the rest of the space wolves, I guess, wherever, um, and he is... Um, so he sort of turns back into himself, but he uh he sort of says something about the, the plot against Horus with the anathema knife and stuff mm-hmm. that we've talked about elsewhere, or weapon, whatever it is. Um and um uh Hogfire's like, Well, thanks for that, but we can't have you around being a sort of wolf possessed <laughs> thing, so he shoots him in the head. Um yeah. and that's uh so then we pretty much cut to um To uh, Prospero, finally, um, right at the end of the book, and uh, this
1: is at at the start of this bit. Casper is is telling the story, and all of the bit of um, that happens on Prospero is told in a kind of, I don't know, like a Homeric, uh, mythological kind of tone, where this is uh, this is the story told by Casper full of remembrances and full of uh, accounts of the warriors that he was with and stuff. And it, it has that kind of monumental kind of feel that epic poetry does have. And I, I quite liked that, actually. I thought that was quite a good approach to, you know. Yeah, me, definitely, me too. Yeah,
0: covering sure. something that had already been covered in the series, you know. Um, mm. But um,
1: and, and I know we, we spoke, like, uh, the last time we were reading a uh, Prospero book and we we kind of assumed this book would be uh, a kind of Rashomon, you know, version, a, a different version of the same story, but it's not at all. But yeah, it's um, for all of that. I think it it really works. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Sorry. No. 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 Go ahead. I, I just I have a quote that I want to read out about this. But if you got anything else to say there? No.
0: No. I was just. I was basically just going to um, reiterate what you said like yeah this book was totally not what i was expecting but but um
1: still still really good um yeah um this the battle is really described in kind of very much the same way as the last book was um so i won't go into too much detail but there was an amazing line um when casper is sort of remembering some of the you know the heroic dead of the space wolves um and he remembers the the ones that were killed. If you remember, there's like a sort of park where uh, the Thousand Suns make their final line, and they're that that's when they first start using magic in a sort of sustained way, and that's when the Space Wolves start uh, taking some significant losses. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and there's this uh, there's like a, a kind of shopping list. Of death that he reads out. Oh, yeah. That's just really funny. So he goes, "Oj died there too, turned inside out by a warlock's gesture. Svessel too, split in two by an invisible blade. His blood came out with great explosive force, like liquid from a pressurized cask. Heckin cooked inside his armor. <laughs> Orm Ormson exsanguinated. Vossel blinded and pulped, like a s- <laughs> like a snow pelt." gutted and decapitated. Bien fell, engulfed in a cold blue fire that consumed him, but would not go out. Sven Sarl withered to a vile powder. And then the best one, Erdor, transmogrified into a twisted, steaming, inhuman stump. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, so, was, that was, was a, a good was a. Tremendous bit of writing and
0: well delivered, Neil. There, I must say, <laughs> I like the the note of pathos in the in, in the one that was turned into a blue flame or whatever it was. It quite... <laughs> yes, yes, um, I
1: thought there was something somewhat wistful about that death. <laughs> but like just the the, the way the like Ormormson exsanguinated. He just gets one word: Vossi blinded and pulped. <laughs> <laughs> blinded first before being turned into a pulp
0: um there's also a funny bit well there's there's a couple of funny things here i noted right one of which is uh they're talking about sort of the great cities of mankind you know so places like alexandria and memphis with slightly different spellings and Mm -hmm. then talks about uh a london (laughs) um did you note the spelling of this Uh, Uh, I I didn't. It was capital L, apostrophe, U, capital U, N, D, O, N, E. Um, (laughs) L'Ondon. Which I thought was very funny. Um, And then there was also... Well, yeah, just while we're covering sort of, you know, uh, gory deaths, there's a bit where it says, I just was... was, um, this phrase caught my attention. A steam of blood vapor wafted out from his cooked brain case. <laughs> um. Yeah,
1: I love it. <coughs>
0: but this was also this this <coughs> this bit reminded me of like just like, you know how like sometimes you get reviews and things like TripAdvisor of like TripAdvisor of like um you know cultural heritage sites it just seems like weirdly inappropriate that they're being like reviewed in this way is the same as like you know yeah our, and then um, <laughs> this struck me as just like the these wines for some reason reminded me of that of, of like a trip advisor review it said fine alabaster steps detailed with gold wide up to a portico of portico of glass and silver The only thing that marred the entranceway was the stream of blood running down the fine steps from the sprawled body near the top. It's like four stars, you know? Um, Overall, an excellent experience, but you know, the stream of blood... Could have cleaned the blood
1: (laughs) (laughs) out. So, uh, moving the plot forward, again, I described in the previous book um, the maidens, the Sisters of Silence, whatever, um, they... You know have a bite them in the in the battle see of everybody else and so allow the space wolves to actually get to the um thousand sons and starts murdering them um casper relives his dream again and uh, but this time he sees that shock horror it's actually horus in the mirror and um horus explains that what he's actually been doing this entire time is somehow somehow um, making it so that the uh, Emperor would have to send the Space Wolves against the Thousand Suns and that he, this was all part of his game. He would destroy both legions because the things that he's worried about most are the magic of the Thousand Suns and you know the, the executioner style mass brutality of um, the Space Wolves. So he's sort of taking them off the board at this point. um, And Casper's like, there's no way. To Casper's credit, he's like, there's no way you did that. (laughs) And he was like, no, I did. Uh, And it hasn't worked perfectly, but um, the Thousand Sons will mostly be destroyed. Uh, They'll have taken a good chunk out of the Space Wolves, but the Space Wolves are still around. But Magnus has now turned to my side, so Uh, It's even better, actually. And um, they're kind of like, Casper, again, to his credit, I don't think I actually believe that. And then he sees um, there's a bit of Horus being like chopped up a bit. And he sees um, it's actually Mirza, his friend, that is the one that he saw uh, back then. Um, And again, it's not Mirza. It's actually just a demon monster
0: yeah it's 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 like the you know it calls itself the primordial annihilator and it's like the demonic force of the warp and yeah there's a whole bunch of stuff and this happens a few times particularly in the latter parts of the book, where it sort of just seamlessly moves between in a way that i thought was actually generally quite well done it could be a little bit confusing but i felt there was much more um behind it than there often is with this kind of stuff between like the sort of the memories of hauser and the, the sort of the events that are happening, where yeah. he physically is at the time, and and so this kind of this stuff that's kind of in his memory at this point, this sort of comes into the the real world on Prospero and like this demon in the form of well Horus, um, mm. with like sometimes with his friend Mersa's face, and um, but sort of comes in and starts causing carnage in, uh in in this like building they're in in Prospero and. Um, so quite enjoyably in a way. There wasn't like yeah. some magic solution to dealing with this demon. It was just to get more fire firepower in, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah, kidding. exactly. And this is the first time like we have seen dreadnoughts before. Um, but the dreadnoughts are described as five meters tall, and that is much bigger than they have been in my head. <laughs> um But yeah, they, they um they get the um dreadnoughts just on either side of it. And um, it's described in the book as the firepower macerates the demon. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they just, like, heap on loads of bullets and destroy it, and uh, that's it.
0: Yeah, although they do, like, yeah, for, like, I forgot to say that the the silent sisters who are with them, they have to, like, it only really becomes possible to properly yeah, destroy it point. when they come in to kind of stop its magic power. Um and then basically the this so so obviously, you know, the the war and Prospero goes as we already know it does from the other book. Um and basically uh, he but in this in this dream situation that he was in or remember memory dream type thing, he uses the kind of magic word that Mirza had used against the, the muggers back on that planet ages ago and um that like hurts for a moment the the demon and sort of gives them the opportunity
1: to destroy it and i think it it's makes be- makes its face explode yeah <laughs> hurts hurts <laughs> <laughs> um, no you're right you're right that would hurt you're right <laughs>
0: then uh so because of that like the space wheels are obviously don't like any sort of magic stuff but they do they do quite like him um and so they said <laughs> Well, we're not going to kill you, but you're going to sort of live underground next to all the dreadnoughts, um, and yep. that's sort of, but with the implication that you sometimes gets pulled out to tell stories and stuff. Um, <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll warm
1: you up every few hundred years so you can tell a story, and then back you go.
0: Yeah. So that was that was how it, um, it ended, and uh, yeah, and and in my version of the book, we had another nice afterword from a from. Uh, Dan Abnett, um, mm-hmm. which was which was quite quite interesting actually. So like, well, part of it is, which I thought was funny was that he was like, he basically was saying like he doesn't like space wolves, and he was like, oh yeah, things like space wolves and orcs, you know, they're great in the in the game as like units in the game, but like they're just you know they're just stupid like to to write about. And I was like, for someone to who writes these about all the rest of the stuff in this in this universe to to come out with that, I just thought it was was kind of funny. Um, and uh, as if, like, you know, yeah, I don't know. I just thought, it seems like there's a lot of other, you know, if you're going to take exception to those two things, I'm sure there's plenty of other things that would fall under that category. But anyway, yeah. um, and he sort of, he uh, makes a lot of Scottish jokes about Graham McNeil, um, involving <laughs> references to, like, Braveheart face paint and stuff like that. Um, and in the discussions they were having and, like, In what is surely the dream, you know, someone who's a total fan of these books and like, and someone who wishes they could write for them, like this must be the total dream scenario. He says, "We were sitting in Bugman's Bar after a Horus Heresy writers' room meeting, (laughs) Um, and uh, Bugman's Bar, if you don't know, Neil, is I don't know is um, at Games Workshops, like headquarters in Nottingham." Oh, ha- I they- thought it was
1: going to be a beautiful bar in Scotland or something. No, they have a they have
0: a bar called Bugman's Bar, and Bugman is some like dwarf character from the the, the fiction. Um, so you can actually go to a, a Warhammer themed bar. But anyway, um, what there was a really interesting part of this was that he says uh, during the course of writing this book, well, well this is exactly what it says: is during the course of Prospero Burns, I suffered a series of grand mal seizures um not fun i wound up in hospital and underwent multiple cat and mri scans and for a period of four months i was um awaiting a uh, diagnosis i knew very calmly that it might be terminally bad news um and uh and then he quite humorously at the end says i was as look Loken might put it sanguine um, <laughs> and <laughs> which i thought was like a nicely self-aware funny line. totally um and but uh, he turned out to you be know, had epilepsy, basically. Um, oh shit! And then um, so, it and it's quite interesting because he says like he says he's like he's a different person, you know, after that than he was for the the earlier books he'd written in the series, basically. And he was sort of saying how like some of the stuff with Hauser, you know, um, I guess and the the memories and the shifting between these different sort of mental states I guess as he does in the book he says like some of that was kind of influenced by his experiences during this time so I thought that was quite a quite an interesting little bit
1: of mm, um, background I might be like to read that one um, I was sort of thinking about different points uh, when I was reading this book and I wonder what your opinion would be of them <clears throat> excuse me um, we discussed last week at the end that we were kind of nervous about Abnett's ability to tie the story threads together that was you know all of these different memories like why were these all happening and like how would this all come together at the, the sort of the, the crescendo of the book that was one thing but I was also thinking um about what you said in that you were wondering hmm, I can't quite I don't know quite how to put it but um about a certain a certain sense of self-indulgence about not really addressing in any way in the, the first half of the book um the mean arc of the horse heresy you know and and that kind of thing so i was kind of thinking about that the whole way through when i was reading it um what i thought was i thought it was without question the best written book i really liked sort of a lot of the human and humanist type viewpoints that, that Casper um, experienced, um, I was really surprised at how much it all did pay off. And when I was thinking about like how, how such a tiny amount of the book was dedicated to Prospero, it, it really did work for me because the, uh, the Space Wolves were always like, everything that we do, you know, every war that we conduct, everything that we are asked to do is the same. We do it, you know, because we're asked to. And that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like this, um, battle of Prospero was just one more thing that they were asked to do and they went and did it. Yeah. And that kind of fitted in within the narrative of the book and within their story. And, um, I I just thought yeah that's that's exactly the right way to tell a story. Yeah, I I also in the end thought that
0: this was really good um and wait like, and there's several reasons for that I think this I think the space wolves really um in ter- certainly in terms of their dialogue and stuff were were the most compelling like depiction of a of a legion uh, thus far. You know uh, like they really had a, a sense of character and culture and um and you know obviously they, they still do horrible things but a lot of them actually were um convincingly portrayed as quite likable characters you know in terms of at least mm-hmm. the way they spoke to hauser um and uh so that was that was one good thing another good thing was like it was just a relief to actually read a story that was just pretty much entirely from the one character's point of view um mm-hmm. and obviously cut in between time frames but um but actually, you know, in a way that that pretty much worked and and like it did occur to me reading this book and I thought this book was going to go more off the rails in this way than it actually did. But it occurred to me that like one of the, like one of the weakest areas in in many ways of a lot of these books, I think is like structure, you know, like, you know, that feeling sometimes when you get in, get to an end, the end of a book, and I don't mean like in a way that the story is all tied up, I mean, in terms of the structure, and you just think like everything sort of you know, comes together and works and you see why every bit of the book was there and it's, like, really satisfying in that yeah. sense, you know? Like, it strikes me that there's very often the case that I don't feel anything like that at the end of one of these books, you know, it's sort of jumping between these different scenes and it's, you know, it's kind of trying to fit into the bigger structure, but as a standalone thing, it doesn't feel, you know, doesn't yeah. doesn't quite work that way. And, and this book, I, I would say it had a couple of missteps in that regard, but overall, it's probably the one that's most, like all the messing about with flashbacks and stuff
1: all did kinda of did seem to come together in a way that um yeah made the totally. whole story I, work. I think I think that's almost um brought more into focus when there are those slight missteps, like the Ada Half Wolf thing. Yeah. Like that's a character who was introduced, killed and discarded within a few pages really. And his story didn't really do an awful lot like you could you could have done it with the characters who were already there and stuff like that but i think that was a misstep and i'm kind of letting it off the hook because everything else was so much better but a lot of the other books have far more of those within them yeah and they go on for longer and stuff and yeah they're just not um you just can't forgive them as quickly as you can in this one and, and uh, so i think you're right definitely
0: and, and we often sort of say this but like that you know that kind of structural issue a lot of that does probably stem from the time frames in which these kind of things are written you know because it's like um you know restructuring something majorly or, or throwing out big parts of a book which you'd ideally want to do to make it as good as it could be mm-hmm. is presumably not that easy to do when you just need to get the stuff on the page and printed yeah. you know and out in a in a time frame of whatever like um fairly short one anyway um but yeah overall i think this is definitely one of the best if not the best we've read so far yeah without question but yeah okay so um thanks very much for listening um you can get us at uh, horus heretics at gmail.com um and uh yeah we appreciate all your listens um you know we sometimes we just do this sort of for our own entertainment just throw it out into the void and (laughs) turns out some people do do listen to it so that's quite nice um uh so yeah um i guess we'll see you for episode 32 which i believe is on the i think the next book is another short story collection
1: It is called The Age of Darkness, and I'm really looking forward to a few more short stories. Cool, that sounds fun. So we will be back with
0: the first part of our discussion of that in a couple of weeks. So we'll see you then.
1: Cheers.